You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, Alex. Hey, Nick. I'm a professor now, bro. I know. That's exciting at our alma mater. NYU. NY who? NY who? I remember being there and having, you know, you're an adjunct professor, right? I am. I'm an adjunct. Yeah. So what does that mean exactly? Because I have my understanding of what it is, but you tell me. Well, what's your understanding? You go first. I want to know. There, there are people who are brought in per semester to kind of fill gaps in the curriculum. Some of them were, were actively involved in the industry they were teaching about, and some of them were not. Like I had an adjunct professor who ended up winning an Oscar for best screenplay the next year. So that was that. cool. Like, oh, like our professors are winning Oscars. But then I also had a, a screenwriting professor whose like, claim to fame was that he was like a production assistant on The Godfather 3 like 30 years ago. I mean, so that's awesome. So, you know, you're not far off. Ad, adjunct, so the, I'd say that the defining characteristic of adjuncts is that we are hired semester to semester. We are not capable of getting tenure. I wouldn't call it hired to fill in the gaps. I would say that you are definitely, well, no, no, no. Actually, you know what? That's a, that's a fair assessment. Filling in the gaps of the curriculum, the minutia, like we are, we're there for like maybe things like if you have your core curriculum, we're there for things that are like filling out your curriculum, not filling in. Do you know what I mean? Like, like we are expanding your curriculum, things that can, you know, be added on. So is there like a theme to your class? Uh, contemporary scene analysis. Contemporary scene analysis. That kind of goes with this podcast a little bit. It, it's literally what we do here, uh, except I'm teaching students how to act. Do you think NYU would ever hire me? Little Justice, Little Justice. Little Justice. Fuck yeah. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to Little Justice, this thing that we do. I am Nick Walker. Mm-hmm. I'm Alex Smolo. You are Alex Smolo, apparently singing the theme song. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when we're doing this, I, I put it in after the fact so we don't hear it, but I kind of hear it in my head because I'm like, okay, this is where I'm going to edit it in. And then I start singing it to myself. And then so I'm always just kind of humming it as we come in. You're like a savant. You're like you're like uh, Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind. Oh, I'm sure it's not in the right key. I'm, sh- I'm no, it's sure great. that I'm off in that department, but uh, it's great. I was more it's a, just it's a catchy about- tune. It's a catchy it tune. We, we, we wrote it when we first started trying to do this a long time ago. We were just messing around. I had a guitar or something and we just yeah. started messing around as as a joke but like the tune actually kind of stuck and so when it came time to record the version for this one it was like yeah well and the original one if you remember and nobody should remember because the original episodes will never be found please don't ever please don't remember don't remember don't find them don't go looking for them they really aren't episodes that we are proud of they really (laughs) could ruin us like they could absolutely take us out proud of those ones nick (sighs) god damn you no i'm not too proud I'm not too proud. I am too proud to beg for those episodes back is what I am. <laughs> but no, those episodes, like the, the the original theme song was like in a high pitched key. It was like, little justice, little justice, little justice. That was like, that was it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And think about that. Think about we were trying to subject uh, uh, people to that <laughs> every week. The soothing, like, you know, R&B version that I've come up with, I think, is, oh, is more appealing. To so me. much it's more soft yeah. and pleasant. It's just just supple. Like you're it's like supple, you know, it's supple. Eventually, we'll open it up and we'll we'll let audience 
versions come in. You know, if you yeah. want to make your own version of our theme song, we'd be happy to cut it into an episode. Well, it's like it's like a David Simon show, right? Every every season has a different different version of the same theme song, and I think we should do that. Is I think every, is that how it works? Is, oh my so, god! Okay, so so we just started The Wire. Wait, have you never seen The Wire? So we just so I I've watched you the first season and I bitch. never got through to the second season. Oh my god! Uh, so my wife, one of her coworkers, suggested was like, "It's the greatest show of all time," and it you is. like it a little bit. Uh, Shut the so fu- so we you. were like, "Okay, let's watch it." I was always turned off by the original version is like standard definition, square aspect ratio, like very very nineties. Yes, which I don't. In and of itself, I don't have a problem with it, but watching three seasons of like a serious drama yep. like that. And I think probably the copy that I'd found, the DVD or whatever, was just like kind of blurry quality. They remastered it recently. I hadn't realized. It's 1080. And I went and found it again. And it's widescreen and it's crisp and it looks like it was just shot. And suddenly like all the nuance yep. is coming through. And I'm like, oh, this this is why people consider this to be the best show of all time. Gotcha. It really is a masterpiece. And I actually am watching uh, the Companion series right now, which is Treme. Right. Um, s- same team, but just like, and, and really same cast, but like just a different uh, setting. You know, The Wire, to get, you know, nerdy on you, the, the Wire to me is about what happens to the American working class under the American institution. Right. It's like the American institution crushing the working class. And Treme, conversely, is about the working class overcoming the institution. And so it's like, it actually is like when you finish The Wire, I would actually highly suggest Just going move to move right on to Treme, especially now in this climate. Yeah, it will know it will. And, and that's what's actually been really kind of eerie. And it really does speak to this moment, Treme. Like it really is yeah. this moment of like these people who are coming out of this incredible event that like decimated their home and walking out into the rubble and be like, how do we... Well- it's interesting watching The Wire now in the light of of the conversation around police brutality. Yep. Like obviously, it's always been there. It's always been an issue. Like the show exists because, and it, it addresses things that everyone knows about. But it's never been so directly injected into the public consciousness like it has been now. So like watching the nuance of it, like I, I want to say that that The Wire couldn't be doing what it's like. It couldn't be made now with the conversation, but it, it absolutely could. It's kind of like somebody digested everything that's going on and spit back up like the on the ground things that are happening. Like here's yep. the reality of it. And like, yes, there's bad, but yes, there's confusion. Yes, there's this. Yes, there's that. Like it just, it's, it's a very grounded, realistic show that is, yeah, you're right. It's, it's surprisingly prevalent. Well, and it's, and, and what I love, you know, I think that I think, and it's something that I really do, you know, I think that sometimes I want to, as a writer, I get bogged down in genre and I love high concept, but I think that David's one of the reasons that I, I just look up to David Simon as like my favorite writer is someone who, you know, he comes from a journalistic background. So you're, you're watching these mm-hmm. series and like, there's no, it's not like, it's not drama in the sense that we understand it today. It's very mundane. Like, your these moments in any other TV show would not fly, but right. it's it's what he's saying is it's the accumulation of these moments and and you are he's not he's literally not going to exposit anything, and you have to really just watch these characters over like you won't get the payoff for these characters for seasons like it really will go on and then finally something that happened in season one will pay off in season four. And you're like, oh my God. You mean like it's, yeah, it's like life. And it, it really, it follows into it, Treme as well. It really is. I mean, it's, it's, it's astounding how little setup there is for like, it's literally None. just, this is how things would happen in real life. This is how these characters would act and talk and think and move and make decisions. And it really, it's like, it's like slice of life almost. It's a slice of life show. Like I'm not, you know, you're not sitting there like, oh my God, what's going to happen? I got to watch the next one to figure out like, no, you're just, you're just watching people do their jobs legally and illegally. Like that's that's what you're doing. Literally. And, and I, have you, uh, you know what I, have you ever read the series Bible for it? No, you should read it. I'll send it to you. It's it really, he's, it's just amazing how he describes it. Cause he's like, we're going to focus in on ask like, you know, cause when, when they pitched it, they were, you know, they were saying it's a cop show, but like, yeah, everyone thought at the time, okay, this is another NYPD blue or another homicide or whatever. Right. Um, both of which he had hands in, um, or definitely had hand in homicide because that was based on his book, I believe. But he very much was like, look, no, we're going to, we're actually going to, you know, focus in on parts of these people's lives that like you wouldn't see on a cop show. And, mm-hmm. and then the, the, the real switch came when, you know, season two, um, you know, not to ruin it for you, but season two, is like 
a complete pivot. Like you think you understand the setup by the end of season one and then season two, you're like, what the hell has happened? Like, it's not, yeah. not like it's a different show, but it's just a different right. focus. He just, he just opens it up and well, it, and it's going to ha- have to finish it. Yeah. You finish I it. Think. I think. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the things I love about it, it obviously the care, I mean, maybe the main thing is the characters. Like that's yeah. what the show oh, is, yeah. is the characters. Um, I really love Omar. Oh yeah, I, I figured I figured it'd be Omar McNulty for you. Ma'am, no, McNulty's like he's he's a little too man child. Yeah, um, yeah. But I like Omar because of the duality of it. You know, the show is kind of all about this duality, and and uh, he's like this hard ass gangster, not afraid to you know take charge, bust into a room blazing. But also, he's got this really you know soft tender side that yeah. is like it's kind of shocking against who he is. You know, um, so I think I think you could probably call him. A heartwarming monster. I would I, oh, look at you with your freaking, your freaking. We're, we're weaving now. We're weaving. We're weaving. We're dodging. We're moving. We're going. And at least it I, wasn't a pun. It was a. It was a thematic correlation. It was a great. I would say that that you really did a great job with that. And I think that. Uh, <laughs> I think that's probably your best one. And I, you know, I, I you. applaud you. You know, Alex is of course pointing to today's theme, which is heartwarming the 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 heartwarming monster movie is how is how i would phrase it because i wouldn't even uh, relegate it to just the monsters themselves being heartwarming i would say that a movie that has monsters but is also heartwarming is also acceptable yeah this this one was this one was tough because of the the number of directions it can go what kind of movie because my mind immediately goes to kids movies but then you start thinking about it and like it's inherent in a lot of kids movies especially from a certain era uh, but it's interesting to dig in and find out where the same device is used to tell an adult story too. I, I I completely agree, and I think and I think that especially when you're dealing with the monster movie, like I don't. Do you ever find this? What What is the last monster movie that like truly terrified you? Um, that's a good question. That's a really good question. There's a movie, The Ritual. That was really scary, but that wasn't real. There's a monster in it, but you don't really see it till the end, and it's not crazy. Uh, there's a movie Troll Hunter, which is very good. I think it, it's Danish or something like that. I've heard about that. Norwegian. I watched, I've heard. I've seen that poster all the time. I saw it in theaters, not knowing much about it, like like ten years ago, and it's actually very, very, very good. Uh, but I feel like the monster because like you go through this era of monster movies, right? It starts in in like. I guess it starts with like Dracula and the creature from the Black Lagoon and all that in the 20s, 30s. Uh, but it evolves into, with the Cold War, it evolves into robots and aliens and zombies and all this stuff. And then you hit the 90s and you get, you know, the 70s, 80s, 90s, you get Alien. Yeah. Um, you you get slasher movies. You get, you know, monsters like like Freddy or Jason who are kind of human but not Yep. Uh, these kind of dream monsters. So like the, the concept of a monster and it's always reflective of what a society is kind of going through, right? Like any horror movie, like it's, it's reflective of our fears. Um, so it's interesting to see people pivot on that and how they can take that fear and use it in a way that enlightens us and, and makes us feel better about things <laughs> instead of worse. Mm. Yeah, it, it really is a kind of a thing that, you know, if done right, the monsters, and I, I, I've always said this, the monsters have to represent something that the they have hero. To yeah, yeah. So it's symbolism. That's that's what that's what a monster is. I think that you know it. It really is. Uh, I don't know. It, it really is an effective when you have a good monster movie. It's an effective way of um, yeah, just of just well, getting yeah. Yeah. What What would your When was the last time you were really terrified in the face by a monster? Yeah. Uh you know, I will say. The original, Clo- it wasn't the last time, but the original Cloverfield did it for me. Yeah. I was, I, I was pretty scared of that. Was that due part in part to the mystery surrounding that? Because the part of the story of that movie is the, how it was released and not knowing what it was about. Yeah. It did you was, watch it in that context? I did watch it in that context. I, I didn't know what it was about. And I, and I think that, I think that like, I, so I have, I have this weird thing. I am terrified of the idea of getting eaten. That actually <laughs> terrifies me. And, and I mean, I mean, like, like, and I, I've, I've, I, you know, like I, by an animal, like by an, any animal that could like hunt me down and like attack me. Like, yeah. I, 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 yeah, there's something there. Like I, I remember one of my earliest memories, film movie memories was uh, the live action jungle book with Lena Headey and Sam Neill and Jason Scott Lee. Do you remember this? From I, Disney? I, 
it uh Carrie Elwes was in it. Carrie Elwes was in this. I remember uh, it was was it made for TV? No, it was it was a full out It was a full movie. movie. I remember watching it on TV. It was one of those things that made the rotations and and the kid playing it's great, but it was yeah, it was that gritty look. I remember when Shere Khan attacks the tent the the, it the was, village and like dude, it's, it's heavy. It was very, and especially for Disney, I was like, how did y'all think this was okay for children? I watched it back recently, and I was like... Is that like, Disney? I figured it Disney. was just like they they took no. the Rudyard Kipling source nope. and made their own thing. It was Disney that made it. It is straight up Disney. It is Disney. It is Michael and never saying, And then they never did live action. And then the first live action remake they did of their movies coming back was Jungle Book again to just which, wash their mouth of it. Just be like, <laughs> let me just, let this, let's just clean this hey, slate. Like, we can, clean the this bear slate. can sing again. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so true. <laughs> We're fine. Come on back. Come on back, kids. It's fine. Come on back. It's all safe here. <laughs> <laughs> because let me tell you, if I when I think of a movie that was not safe, it was that Jungle it was, Book. It was that one. I remember what the knife looked like. Somebody oh, in that yeah, movie yeah, had a, a weird bent it's knife. The golden I knife. I still remember yeah. with the handle. I still yeah. remember what. It's yeah. in King. It's in King Louis. King Louis treasure trove. His. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh and, man. Oh, I want to watch that now. But, but like that. Oh no, no. Definitely watch it because it was. I think it's in fact directed by like a very famous uh, action director. I'm gonna look this up really quickly. Um, Jungle Book 1994 was directed by. 67 was the animated one. That's Steven Summers who directed the mummy. So of course, of course, of course it was you, Steven Summers, you son of a bitch. You coming in scaring these freaking children. Of course. Terrifying. Actually terrifying. Like a full, a full out jungle book by way of the mummy. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. And I mean, and again, great adventure movie. John Cleese yeah. is in there. He's hysterical, but like the entire last 40 minutes of this film is yeah. British dudes getting hunted down and eaten by animals. And eaten. It's amazing. It's, it's rid- amazing. I can't so, believe. So that's not heartwarming. So that's, nor that's are there not, monsters. I don't really, I don't really know how we got off on no. this too. Well, no. Because well, you're getting you know, eaten by monsters. I would, yeah, I, it's eaten. Eaten, any movie where people are getting eaten or assault, like, yeah. like, like it's, you know what it is? It's the shot of, it's the, it's the now cliche shot where, the, the animal attacks, you know, jumps on him or whatever. You don't see it. And then you just see their legs twitching from behind like a thing where this, while this animal like picks apart their fucking flesh. I yep. can't do that. That actually no. does make me upset. And like there were so you, many. Go have ahead. you ever seen Anaconda? I mean, we need to have a whole episode on Anaconda. <laughs> like, on Anaconda and Lake Placid. Both of those, yeah. both of those movies together, double feature. If I ran a drive-in theater, the first thing I would do is run a double feature of Anaconda and Lake Placid. Yeah, I think that we need to do that. I think that we yeah. need to, oh, we man. need to go for it and and have an Anaconda Lake Placid double like double. a grindhouse, like a grindhouse. Oh, oh, Dude, so let's fun. do it. Let's actually. All oh right. my god, no, we're gonna do this, guys. You've heard it here first. We're having an Anaconda Lake Placid <laughs> grindhouse feature, like like and it, like to the death, duel to the death for which is. The best crappy ass, the best worst giant animal coming, giant to animal coming movie. to eat you film. Oh my god! Yeah. So none of this is heartwarming at all. No, at all, <laughs> at all, at all. Um, so, so if monsters represent the worst of us, right? Do, yeah. Does a does a monster, a good monster movie, have to have a message of we are the real monsters? No, I don't think so. I think that it has to have a message. I think that you, my favorite monster movies are the monster movies that move, that warm my heart, I should say, are the movies where you watch them. And after a while, and like, you know, it's a trial. They've survived something. They have gotten through something that, that they shouldn't have gotten through. And even, even if we're talking like a monster movie where the monster is heartwarming, right? Like, like the iron giant is the first thing that came, comes to mind where it's this giant titanium robot monster that, Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, I, th- I think there's, you know, there's always been this trope of like, you know, of these monsters that like, you know, befriend the young, young child and, you know, and then we go on an adventure with them and we, we cry when they die and all that stuff. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's old yeller. I mean, it's literally that, that paradigm. Um, right. I think that, I think that even in those cases, it's understanding that, you know, you've survived this and maybe the world's going to be a little bit brighter maybe you have an understanding that you didn't have before Mm -hmm. um you've you know you've you survived this ordeal and come through with so instead of the monster coming to kill you the monster comes and teaches you a lesson the monster in trying to kill you is is that what makes something heartwarming like like when something is heartwarming 
Is well, it no. the lesson that's heartwarming? Is it the characters? Is is something good happening to the characters that's heartwarming? Like, what is that feeling that you get? I think it's I think it's the characters' growth. I think it's un- it's, it's, it's a growth it's, thing. It's yeah. something you know. And going back to, to to conversation about Treme, so many of the moments that are heartwarming because you know, like there Treme is full of heartwarming moments. Um, you know, I think so many of the moments that are heartwarming are when you see characters who have struggled with something that moment where they finally get it or that moment where, where there's, where somebody helps them that moment where in the midst of craziness, yeah, it's, it is okay. Like, and I think that's why a monster movie, so many monster movies can be, can have that heartwarming vibe because, you know, so often chaos follows in the monster movie, whether it's like, you know, lovely chaos or serious chaos, but like those moments where it's like, Oh God, we've made it we've made it out like that breath afterwards, I think is so right. important. I'm, you know, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, cause when, when you first brought up this idea to do this episode, my, my thought was like, okay, like monsters that by like, we like them, right? Like, like yep. Yep. monsters that are monsters, but, but they're attractive to us. Like the Disney, Disney monsters. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are there examples? Do you think of movies where the monster stays a monster, but it is heartwarming in what in, in the surrounding you know, confusion of the monster's existence. Oh, I think so. I, in fact, in <laughs> fact, the, the movie, the movie that I've chosen, you chose does that, does that. I think so. I think so. I think, and I think, I think it does it now. I will say heartwarming, you know, I think that what I find heartwarming, it, like I said, is, is characters finding their strength characters who like, like it's, it's a very delicate balance because, it's so hard because I have I have two movies that kind of work for this, and I watched yeah. and I watched them both, and I'm going back and forth. There's there's one that's a more obvious choice, yeah, and there, there's one that's like a less obvious choice, but to me is is heartwarming. Yeah, honestly, it didn't intend to be. I might go. I think I'm going to go with that one. Honestly, I'm I'm going to so, go with that one. So before we dive in, I want to start with with yours, because uh, I I was running around the same way of like wow maybe this one but then this one does this well and this one does that i realized that that there are three directors whatever you pick is probably falls in into one of these categories that do this the best right everything comes back to they they do it in they all do it in different ways it's all presented differently in terms of how they create their characters and their monsters you know the lessons learned the inherent themes the stories that whatever the visuals it's spielberg does it yeah. really really well Obviously, uh, yes, right? he's his the whole king of this. thing is the king of this. Yes, um, and like Jurassic Park is one of those movies that, like, uh, you know, the monsters are still monsters throughout the whole thing, but they yep. they help the characters grow anyway. Guillermo del Toro, absolutely, all of his absolutely. movies. You know, Shape of Water is pretty obvious, uh, even especially he, given. But the he recent always stuff, brings but like, that some heart, like, but it's Hellboy. every. Yeah, all of his stuff because his whole thing is monsters, right? He had, yeah. you know, as a kid, he would saw things and and you know he's just one of those guys that lives in the world of of fantasy creatures yeah um but has a heart and like pan's labyrinth is is a great example of of you know lessons learned by dealing with monsters and miyazaki yeah you know, miyazaki the anime director so like spirited away princess yes. mononoke where uh the whole movie is creatures and monsters and the unknown in the spirit world um but a very human story uh threading through it Yes. Um, so th- those three, I couldn't think of, and and my choice is not one of those. But I couldn't think of any movie that I would have picked that is not in the gravity of those three directors. It is definitely the movie that I picked is certainly a movie that wouldn't exist without wouldn't those exist guys. without those guys. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, man. 
All right, well, line it up. Okay. We open on a dark night sky. All of a sudden, eerie music has been playing the entire time, kind of intense music. A blue blazing light is soaring through this this dark night sky. Then we're getting, you know, we're, we're kind of we're kind of following this blue light, and it kind of disappears on us, but we we follow it enough to pan down to what's below it, which is London. Streets in London, seeing a young white woman walking through these streets, talking on the phone, walking past graffiti. She's in the neighborhood that maybe she kind of finds a little uncomfortable. Um surroundings that maybe aren't hers she's talking to a friend all of a sudden she turns behind her three figures in the night standing on the street behind her turns around a young boy in front of her wearing a hoodie and a bandana around his face give me the phone give me the phone give me the phone he starts speaking in like this very, like 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 straight up, just like British, like but like not even British, like I wouldn't even call it Cockney. It's like a specific accent, like a specific South London accent. And they mug this woman right when they're in the middle of mugging her. The same meteorite that we saw at the beginning falls from the sky, crashes into a car. The woman runs away. The boys going to inspect it. Small alien pops out, scratches the leader's face, runs off into a field. The boys are terrified, but they're also badasses, and they chase it. And this is a good... Attack the block. There you go. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. You're right. Attack the block. Attack the block, baby. I'm going to say, you know what that is? I'll tell you what that is. That's an alien, bruv. Believe it. Must have come from outer space trying to take over the Earth, innit? When I landed in the wrong place, though, you get the wrong place. <laughs> Welcome to London, motherfucker. Welcome to the end, brother. This is the block, fam. Nobody fucks with the block, do you get me? The B-L-O-C-K. Hack, hack, the block. The block. Good choice. Bro, it was, and it was, can I tell you, it was between this and Jurassic Park. It was absolutely between this and Jurassic Park. I'm sure that it was. I figured you were going to bring one of the... I I thought you were going to bring Jurassic Park or E.T. to the table. I'm saving those. I'm saving those first for a better I know know you are. The day you use Jurassic Park, that's going to be your peak. That's it. Like, then the the, the podcast has nowhere to go after that. But... um, So, so Attack the Block is uh, John Boyega's kind of star turn, right? I think it's his first film. I think this was his first... the very first one? His first time out. Yeah, it's it was uh, written and directed by Joe Cornish, who actually has not done much else. He did uh, he did that that uh, King Arthur uh, kids reboot uh, a couple years back, um, but like he and he wrote Ant, he wrote Ant Man, you know, which was like a project that I guess he was originally going to do with Edgar Wright. So he has a writing credit on Ant Man. Yeah, uh, it's so funny. I mean, this is it's very strange to me because I love this movie and I would have loved to see more from this guy. Um, and I hope that he continue. I hope that he picks up m- making movies again. So Attack the Block, um, I think the brilliance of Attack the Block is that it really is a metaphor. It's a giant metaphor. And it's something that, it's a metaphor that like when I saw it, I was like, it was just the first time that I'd seen somebody even attempt to do something like this. And yeah. it, it really made me, you know, it's so funny that we're speaking about The Wire because I mean, that's essentially right. what it's. Yeah, with The Wire with aliens. With aliens. And it's it's just, it's, it's a common, I mean, what it really is a commentary on is like the trauma of black urban youth in South London and, and what they're, what they're going through, why they choose to be in a gang. The world is terrifying around them. And, and that this world that already hates them and hunts them down and and kills them is personified by these vicious aliens that come from the sky and like, and, and what's, I think what's really powerful about this movie is that they pull no punches. I mean, most of these kids die, you know what I mean? Like, like truly. That's why it's, it's interesting. Cause like heartwarming is not the first word that comes to mind when I think of this movie, but as I think more about it and, and the underlying sentiment of it, 
it is. It's hopeful. It's a hopeful movie. It's a it's a hopeful movie. And and what I think that the reason where I find the heartwarming in it is Moses, is John Boyega's character. So John Boyega, I mean, it really I think is still to this day his best performance. Um, I just I think he's brilliant in this film. And it's and it's startling because he was he was teenager when he made this and he just struck it's it's almost it's very much on par with like uh uh what's her name millie bobby brown from from stranger things where where a child actor just comes out and it's like who the hell are you yeah um and he that she wishes she'd get handed a star wars contract dude well no but she's please she's fine she's got so many friends yeah that the so new uh, Sherlock Holmes show yes, coming oh out. Oh my god, god. looks trailer's yeah. great. She's going to be killer, good. killer. Yeah. But but I think with uh, John Boyega, it was just like he and he doesn't even have that many lines. Like like he literally is the silent kind of like stoic leader of these kids. So all of the stuff that he's doing is through his eyes and through his actions. And you know, it's it really is is like just this kind of movie where you're, you're following him and you just get glimpses of like his life. Who do you live with? Just my uncle. Where's he? Comes and goes. Goes mostly. The reason I find it heartwarming is because you realize very quickly that you're just watching these black kids survive life. Like mm-hmm. that's what, like he has this line that I wrote it down that, that I want to read. And it's, it's like, you know, they're talking about where the aliens come from. And he goes, I reckon the fence, the fed sent him anyway. Government probably bred those ki- government probably bred those things to kill black boys. First they sent in drugs, then they sent guns and now they're sending monsters in to kill us. They don't care, man. We ain't killing each other fast enough. So they decided to speed up the process. Like, I love that. That's, ins- you know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. and that line shows not only like, a, you know, social commentary in terms of the, the larger picture of the movie, but also like the trauma of this, of the worthlessness this kid feels. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it, you, you really are watching a young man find his power and, and belief in himself. And, and that's really what he does. I mean, it, it really is about these kids taking control yes. of a situation that yes. is uncontrollable. Watching them tame it over the course of the movie is like, you know, regardless of whether, whether they're, you know, inner city kids in London or they could be anywhere, any, any kids, which is kind of the flavor of a movie like E.T. Yeah. uh, Where it's like the kids rise up and save the day um, when the adults can't do it because, you know, uh, but in like an aggressive R rated, you know, actiony way. Yeah. And it's, and it, it really, you know, the knowing once you, I mean, and especially because of how, it's not like an, I think, I think the other thing about an action movie where you kill kids is, you know, w- when you have this movie, if this movie was uh, any of these movies that were, where aliens are attacking a group of people, the, they don't, the adults generally don't have time to take it personally. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like they're, they're just trying to solve this thing, but you, every death that happens in this movie is taken. So pr- it hits them so hard and like, it, it's just, I mean, you just allowing for the time to process that. Like, yeah. These are kids. I mean, it's it's a great setup because like these are kids and all they have is each other. Like it's tragic enough that these kids can't rely on adults, right? They live in this universe where all they have is each other for support. Yeah. All yeah. they have. And, and to watch somebody in that situation get get plucked away from you by a monster, which is something that, that youths and communities like that have to deal with. You know, something the, the Wire is really good about about showing you is like how close these relationships become and how quickly lives get snuffed out, how kind of disposable they become. Yeah. And, and what that does to your psyche, what that does, like how do you, how you start seeing human life when, when you know that that could happen at any point where it's like more likely than not to happen. And it's, Um, yeah, it's, it really, no, it's just, it's so deep and it works on so many levels. And the yeah. the most heartwarming moment is truly at the end, you know, Mo, John Boyega's character never smiles in this movie, never really? smiles. It's he, been a long time since I've seen it. Oh my God, yeah, go back and watch. It's so good. Yeah. He he really is just like stone faced. And the first time he really smiles is at the end of this film. Once, once he's defeated them and, and the block starts cheering for him and the, and you know, and it's just like this moment of like, we did it like a we did it a we defeated these monsters but be like we're gonna be okay and it yeah. really is this is like the oh, i just i just love it and i i also love i love that the you know um 
uh, Jodie Whittaker's character who ends up allying with them, right? And, and that, that I think, I think is such a wonderful thing is on Joe Cornish's part is that he chose to, in this, in this, this story that's largely about race and class, he chose to have, you know, these young adults pair with these kids and, and kind mm-hmm. of, and kind of be led by these kids, these people who would all be scared of these kids if they met them on the street. That's, that's part of the empowerment. You know, yeah. these people you, you, you glance over that you don't give a second thought that you think, you know, are, are unsavable are the ones who are going to save you. If exactly. you just give them the opportunity. Oh know? my God. It's, uh, yeah. I love this movie so much. That's really, great. Yeah. You got a little brother. No. How old are you? 15. You look older. Thanks. That's Not a great cool. choice. That's a, that's a really great choice. It reminds me a little bit of uh, District 9. Which oh, I my didn't God. Think about either. Uh, I think it's Attack so the Block good. is a little sharper in terms of its commentary. You know, District yeah. 9 is a little obvious. Yeah, District um, 9 is very... It's very... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's well made. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I love because that is that Neil Blom Blomenkamp is Neil that Blomkamp, yeah. Blomkamp, yeah. I love, I love District Nine, and I wasn't, you know, none of his follow ups quite hit me. Like it hasn't, you know, I like Chappie. I think Chappie. I heard Chappie. I wouldn't was say it's good. underrated, yeah. but it's it's fun. Yeah, and watch it, watching uh, the the members of Die Ant Word uh-huh. uh, try to act is yep. interesting. They're interesting characters. Um, Listen, I, I, I like what Neil Blomkamp tries to do, uh, but you're right. Elysium and, and Chappie and all, all of his movies haven't really hit the same mark as District 9. I do love that he maintained... I, I, I always have a respect for directors who maintain an aesthetic. Like him... Yeah. Um, he I, knows what he's about. He you know? knows what he is. And I, I feel like uh, Ridley Scott does that as well. Like All of his movies have a very specific quality. And, That's an interesting uh, example. Oh my God. Ridley Scott? <laughs> you, th- you think so? Dude, I think all of his, especially, go ahead. Even with his history of taking, taking what, what he was from 20, 30 years ago and trying to like reboot it into something completely different from what it was. I think, I think that watching at least, I mean, at least design wise, at least can't, you know, in terms of his, is his, the, the aesthetics of his shots and what he, it's, I can, you throw a movie in front of me. I can tell you if it's a Ridley Scott film, I can tell you. Interesting. in 10, in 10 seconds, I can tell you like it just, I just feel like he has, he has a way, yeah. a way. I guess of, like I, I look at him in the same vein as I do uh, Francis Ford Coppola where like the, the hunger of youth is what drove. Yes. And I mean, to be fair, Ridley Scott didn't start making movies until he was in his forties. Yeah. And yeah. this was alien back in the seven. He's still alive, still making stuff like he is. He, he started old, but you know, the, the fire of youth, so to speak, um, you know, brought out the risk taking and working within constraints and all this stuff. And I feel like as they, as they were given, you know, grander careers and allowed to do what they wanted and take their time and all that, it didn't, you know, it, it hasn't really come out with anything breathtakingly exciting. No, I I agree. I agree. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, but you know, Hey man, so is Gladiator. You know what I mean? Gladiator, so man, I fucking love Gladiator. Yo, yeah. Sarah hates Gladiator, straight up. Why? We ch- I talked to her about it. We tried it. We tried watching it at a. You know, I will agree. Like watching there, it back, it doesn't treat the women characters very well. It, it doesn't really have. You know, they're, they're there to be. You know, they are. And but beyond that, I would even say like watching it back, like. I didn't. I when I was watch when I watched it in eighth grade, I thought it was like one of the. I thought it was like Christopher Nolan level, like <laughs> smart. It is not a smart film. It is like pure it's testosterone. Not. It's testosterone. Like, yeah. It's like balls. Like it's literally it, just like Joaquin Phoenix and Russell Crowe waving their balls in your face for like two and a half hours. It really, it really, really is. Oh my god! I didn't. And I didn't. Re- I didn't realize that. And this until was I kind of like back. before I knew how crazy Joaquin Phoenix really oh even my was. God. Dude, that Going scene where he kills his dad, it's like, yeah. and he's like <laughs> snotting all over you're poor, poor monster, dude. <laughs> you, dude, you're out of control. Please stop subjecting your co-stars oh to your goddamn saliva. What's wrong with Jesus. you? Out of control, man. Jeez. So yeah, so talk to me. So, good, so my good, choice. Good choice. Thanks, well, you're going to laugh. You're going to, you're going to laugh at my choice. I'm very excited. Well, cause we've already, we already, we've already discussed it. Oh, already, we've already discussed it. So we open the kind of the same way as yours. Yep. On space. Good for you. Good for you. A satellite comes by. Yep. 
uh, Sputnik. Sputnik. That Something flies by. What an era. The old old Russian satellites. You know, the 50s. Yeah. Uh, crashes into the ocean. There's a storm raging. A boat's on the waves crashing back and forth. An old man radioing, looking for help. can't find the lighthouse. He can't see it. Where is he? He doesn't know how he's going to get back. Uh, he turns around. There's a bright light standing above the water. Uh-oh. Into the radio. I see the lighthouse. I'm saved. The light turns towards him. It's two, it's two eyes. He's not saved. His boat crashes into something big. He's thrown into the water. Washes up on shore. Looks up. It's the lighthouse. Cut to the title, The Iron Giant. Rust or the base. I'm going in. Only one creature could create so much destruction. The hideous, people-eating, killing machine, Atomo! Atomo! No, Atomo. I Superman. Okay, Superman. The Iron Giant. So I went, I went back and forth, like with a lot of options. Like I wanted to do Spirited Away, but I think that that was too. It's it's not monstery enough. And there's one other one I wanted to do if I remember. Well, can I can I can I tell you my personal connection to the Iron Giant? No, I I know. So this annoys the shit out of me. So I went researching it after I watched it this morning. And yep, like most things, you're connected to it because originally it was brought to the stage. It was from a story, but it was brought to the stage by Des Makinoff. Yep. I was like, oh, great. So yep. Nick Nick knows all about the Iron Giant. Though, I know he? all That's about. fantastic. I'm so excited to talk to him about that. Yeah. yeah so yeah, have yeah. you talked to Des about that? We, we've, I have definitely asked. So like, because you have to understand, you know, when, so when I did, so Des McEnough, uh, Broadway director, um, also film director, directed Rocky and Bullwinkle, if you didn't uh, he's, know. I, I, until I looked at his Wikipedia this morning, I had no idea just how prolific he yeah, was. Yeah, he's, no, he's, he's done a lot, a lot, serious. a lot of things. Yeah, he's serious. He's out of control. Um, but this, this particular film was a childhood favorite of mine and was also, you know, you could clearly see the roots of Yoshimi in mm-hmm. what he was trying to do with this. I would have loved to see the Pete Townsend version that he was trying to make. Cause that was, that's, that was, he was, I think he was originally trying to make this a stage play with. Pete yeah. Townsend's so music. it was based on a story from the fifties um, that somebody had written. Sylvia Plath's husband had written this story to help their kids after she committed suicide. Oof. Wow. Uh, he wrote it as like a coping mechanism. Wow. Um, Pete Townsend found it in the 70s and him and Des, I guess, want after Tommy, after the su- success of Tommy, they wanted to find a new thing to bring to the stage. And this is what they looked at. Uh, never happened. And then come the 90s and is directed by Brad Bird, you know, who's yep. going on to do all the all the amazing stuff, stuff. all the amazing stuff. Uh, it fell into his lap. And it translated, you know, and, and it's one of those, it's one of those movies uh, where like, usually the animation system is very, it's run from the top down, right? Like there's not a whole lot of creative control because every decision you make is, you know, on, on site in an edit room where executives can come find you and look at what you're doing and change yep. things. You know, there's not, so usually animation is very, very, and, and Pixar and Disney do this, like there is not one frame of a Disney or Pixar movie uh, that is not poured over by executives and decided on, you know, yep. I, I, I've talked to people who have written Pixar movies um, and they, they, they go through like 20 writers on these things. And, and this, the end script is something that's so poured over uh, with the iron giant. What happened was uh, they were just trying to recover from quest for Camelot. <laughs> wow. Uh, they just needed an animation to bounce back from that. And they were focused on a bunch of other stuff. And they basically said like, you know, we're going to give you a third of the budget you'd normally have, but we don't really care what you do. Just give us something good. So like the animation team basically just spent all day, you know, going over storyboards and coming up with ideas. And like they had full creative control. They did it like half the time, the third of the budget uh, and came out with a movie. That it, it's got a renown for, for the quality of it. Um, Jesus. It really, it really holds up to this day so i love it 
I love it. Um, it yeah. So, I mean, f- from, from a monster standpoint, you know, it, it's a little, it's a little obvious. And I was trying to find something. I think your choice was, was a lot more, you know, no, but this is a subtle, intricate dynamic than mine. But I, but I think a heartwarming monster movie, you know, it is, is inherent to a childhood experience, right? Inherent. Because it's about taking, it's about taking a fear yeah. and kids are so easily afraid as are adults. Yeah. Uh, and and working to understand, seeing behind the curtain that it's it's not what you think it is. It's not the the scary thing you think it is. And actually, uh, you can connect with things that you're afraid of. You know, you can grow from things that you're afraid of. And I think that that it comes into so many different kids' movies. No, absolutely. Um, and yeah. I think that this one especially, because the whole message at the end of the day is is about you know it's it's existential it's about what is it what does it mean to be you to be your authentic self to be kind to be inquisitive to be you know um to not take things lying down it's got an aggression to it that i think other other films like this don't have that et doesn't have it's like once the army comes for the robot the robot fights back (laughs) you know like it it comes back hard um and it, it's just a, it's a very sharp, quick display. Where's the giant? You can't protect him, Hogarth, any more than you can protect your mother. My mom? Uh, it's difficult to raise a boy all alone. We could make it more difficult. In fact, we could make it so difficult that it would be irresponsible for us to leave you in her care. And all that that implies. You'll be taken away from her, Hogarth. You can't do that! Oh, we can. And we will. Can we talk about Superman? We can talk about Superman. The Superman moment. Where he's flying at the missile. Yep. yep. So the, yeah, the, cl- the climax of the film, the, the army guys ordered a missile strike and called it in prematurely. It's going to hit the town. And they, they build Superman into the story. Where, yeah. You know, he's got, he's got the action comic number one, but it's back when it just came out. So it's not an important thing. He's just explaining to the, the giant, this, I, the kids explain to this giant, you know, Superman, basically this super strong giant thing. Uh, what the point of Superman is, um, and he sort of, you know, the, the innocence of the of the kid teaches him to be good. You know, it, yeah. it teaches teaches the monster, teaches the robot to be good, uh, and and it climaxes in him flying up into space in that normal, uh, you know, the Dark Knight Rises kind of way, where he's like, I'm going to go blow up in the atmosphere to save everybody. Yep, um, and it's it's heartwarming. It really it's very it, hard. Well, he, and he hears he hears I hear Hogarth is asking him, you know Bad to kill. Guns kill. And you don't have to be a gun. You are what you choose to be. You choose. Choose. Hogarth. You can be who you want to be, or you you yeah. are and he you know, he thinks to him he's like Superman. And I will say this is absolutely. If you're watching this movie, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna cry. So at some point, you will have. It's one of those oh, movies yeah. that's just so well made and so, um, just so emo. Like, because it, it really is this very et beautiful friendship. Um, and I think that also, I will, I will posit, without the Iron Giant, we would not have Iron Groot. There's no way. No, no, no. There's I was no gonna way. say, <clears throat> uh, Vin Diesel plays the Iron Giant. I thought like this is the start of his career, you know, yeah. doing minimal dialogue, grunting characters. So good. But, but he does it really well. And like, I think it really plays to like who understanding who Vin Diesel is. Cause he, you know, in the Fast and Furious movies, he comes off as this gruff, you know, tough guy, testosterone, whatever. Uh, but he chooses some of these roles like this that take the big man, take these strong, big characters and make them inherently vulnerable. Just by the nature of the sounds that they make. And it, it's impressive. And, and the fact that he's he's done it twice makes me think it's not a coincidence. No, I don't think it is. And I think that, I mean, I think back to even like his first, you know, the first time I saw him was Saving Private Ryan, um, where he's real. I mean, he really plays a, 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 a great character in that movie. Um, and, you know, you think about his trajectory and like now we we know Vin Diesel as like, as you know, Dominic Toretto. We that's another. We got to do Fast and the Furious movies. We got to do like the best Fast and Furious movie. I'd have to watch all of them. Oh no, no, we have to watch all of them. Oh we God. should do that anyway. <clears throat> do you know Why, I mean? This is this is masochistic at this point. No, yeah, let's do an great. episode where we watch seven, eight, nine, nine Fast and Fast Furious. and the Furious movies, straight. and choose our favorites. 
Dude, I think that's another that's another great I'm just saying we got topics, baby. <laughs> we got, we got topics. topics, baby. Um, but no, it's it really is you you forget that he like is a very because we we know him for one big character, you forget that like he he he's an actor. Like he really knows and especially like he's a he's a great voice actor. I mean, he's I'm sure he's also had some great voice directors. Um, but like he really gets you in the freaking heartstrings. Um, yeah, he gets you right, right, right in the, right in the, right in the feels. Um, but yeah, man, Iron Giant, great, great choice. Um, also love that we're getting an animated film in here. Cause I, that was the, yeah, other, yeah. but that's the thing is like, you know, we always choose these kind of like dark, intricate movies, you know, with all this subtext and all these winding things and, you know, cinema, whatever. Cinema, uh, sometimes cinema. it's nice. It just, it was really nice. What I, what I got up early this morning, made some coffee, sat down. And watch the Iron Giant, and I enjoyed every second of. It. I wasn't looking at my phone, you know. I'm just like in it, and it felt good at the end. My heart's warmed. I love um, that. It's uh, yeah. I feel I feel good about it. You are who you choose to be. So attack yeah. the block and Iron Giant. Attack the block and the Iron Giant. Let us know what you think. Yeah, as always, please hit us up on our social media at Lil Justice Pod on Twitter a at a l i l j u s t i c e Pod, and that's also on Instagram as well. Uh, hit us it up. It is. Let us know what you what your pick for for movie would be. Alex, I think we've uh, done a good job here today. I think uh, I th- I think we have. I like these ones. They're yeah. just you know they're interesting conversation. You it's know. nice to catch up with my friend. And I didn't see s- what movies he's been watching. I only sweared twice. I only swore, swore. twice. Swore. You only swore twice. You're, you're really watching that now. Yeah. You're oh, really I'm super watching that. Paying attention. Especially, That's great. Especially because I'm about to start teaching class. So, yeah. You, <laughs> you're you know. going to have to be careful of a lot of stuff now. A lot of things. A lot of things about my personality that cannot fit at NYU. Um, oh, my goodness. It's terrible. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. Oh, yeah. I don't like it either. <laughs> but you know what? Yeah. They hired me. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, yep. Get us, get at us at the uh, social medias. And otherwise, we will see you soon. Bye, everybody. Bye. Little Justice. Little Justice. Little Justice. Fuck yeah. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.